Hello, my lovely people, and welcome to The Fletcher Files, a Murder, She Wrote podcast with your host, Monty. Now, this week, we will be talking about Broadway Malady, season one, episode 13, first aired January 13th, 1985. The summary reads, former Hollywood star Rita Bristol and her daughter Patty are about to open in a big new Broadway musical until Patty is gunned down in a bizarre robbery attempt. Ooh, this is a good one. (laughs) All right, so let's get right into it. So we start at in an apartment and we see Rita Bristol watching herself in a movie. We learn that the name of the movie is Moon Over Rio. And she is just... It's, this is a really good scene. I'm going to just take a step away from the show. But so we're watching Rita Bristol, the character, watching herself in a movie. But the thing that's really special about this scene is that we are also watching Vivian Blaine, the actress, watching herself in a movie. Now, the movie that she's watching is a real movie that she actually acted in and it's called the three little girls in blue and that came out in 1946 so this is a double pleasure and I love when murder she wrote does this where they have veteran actors and actresses who uh, either have their headshots from when they were younger or photos of them in costume or in character from, you know, their, I don't want to say heyday because they're still, you know, uh, stars. Um, But to just see that piece of her past. And so she's watching this and you know that the actress watching herself is also feeling the same way that she portrays the character watching herself in this movie. And I thought this was really, really special. And you'll also notice in a lot of Murder, She Wrote episodes where there are certain veteran actors that they will actually use real photos of them. And so I'm going to try to keep an eye out and note those in the future episodes. But I think what would have been cool, and they did not do this in the entirety of the series, is to have an episode where Jessica Fletcher is watching an Angela Lansbury movie. To just see her watching a younger version of herself, but and then having someone note it and her saying, no, are you crazy? I don't look anything like her. She's beautiful and all, but I don't look anything like her. <laughs> you know, oh, that would have been so perfect. Okay, back to the episode. Okay, so... Uh, Patty, her daughter, uh, Rita's daughter, walks in, and that's when we find out that the name of the music, the movie that she's watching, is Moon Over Rio, and she says, "Oh, look at look at me back then. I was such a pushover for Bilge. We were so innocent then. You know, it, it's just amazing because that's probably how the real actress feels about watching herself <laughs> in the movie as well." And then Barry comes in. Now, Barry is Patty's brother and Rita's son. And he tells us that the play that they're putting together, which is always in April, 
I don't think that we find out the name of the play until the very end where we see the poster, uh, unless I missed it, unless I missed it. But the play is always in April. And he says rehearsals for Broadway start in six weeks. I think the best quote from this scene is when Patty says, oh, this is great. The three Bristols back together again for the first time. <laughs> this It was a very cute moment. So then our next scene, we are at Jessica's house. She is on the phone with Grady. We learn that he is now a bookkeeper for a Broadway show. And he has yet another girlfriend. So a new job and a new girlfriend, you know, which is like, um, honestly, he changes jobs and girlfriends like people change underwear. Okay, every time we see him, it is a new girlfriend and it's a new job. But that would happen when your boss uh, is a criminal or a murder victim, which seems to befell Grady's bosses each and every time we see him. Someone's either being taken to jail uh, some for fraud, someone is either a murderer, or they're the murder victim. And it doesn't help when the girlfriend that you have has some connection to the criminal boss, okay? <laughs> or to a murder victim. So yeah, Grady, but he does finally uh, meet Donna, who he does eventually marry. So that's the only woman that he has been able to hold on to for any significant amount of time. Although he almost loses her probably more than once, but we have plenty of time to see the struggles of Grady uh, Fletcher, okay? <laughs> Grady says how excited he is about the play. He can't wait for her to meet Rita Bristol. She's really an amazing person. And Jessica's like, yeah, I'm going to be in New York, but I really have so much stuff to do. Um, I have to meet with my publisher. I have other appointments. I'm not really going to have time to, you know, hang out with you and meet these people. And Grady's like, no, she's a huge fan of yours. You have to, you have to. Uh, they're going to kill me if I don't. And she's like, okay, for you, Grady, I will do this. For Because I love you, I will make time in my schedule to entertain your employer and uh, these friends of, of yours. <laughs> so in the next scene, we see Rita uh, on stage and she is not happy, okay? And she is giving the director, Mark, the business, okay? And the fact is, like, she, although this is a comeback for her, and we learned that she's been out of the spotlight for, I think, about 17 years or so, but she knows her worth. She knows that she is a valuable member of this cast and that her name is going to put butts in the seat. But also, Mark, the director, as much of a jerk he is, he does, He also realizes that he is a valuable asset in this play and that his name being on this play is going to put butts in the seat. So it's really like a fight of two titans. And the fact is like Rita's going to win in the end <laughs> because although they can get another director, you can't get another Rita Bristol. So she does walk off stage and Barry speaks with her and she's like... Ugh. 
No, he says, well, I can get another director. She's like, yeah, I know, but he's the best in the business. So just let me lay down for a bit and I'll be fine. So she understands. Mark understands this is how the game goes. She's going to be, she's going to have an attitude. She's going to be picky. She's going to be disagreeable, but she's the best in the business. And he knows that he's not going to get fired because he he has the experience and the name that they need for this to be successful as well. So now the next scene is we're at the hotel and we meet Kate and Grady is there with Jessica. So the next scene, we're at the hotel with Jessica, Grady and Kate. So he introduces Kate to Jessica And just a side note, but honestly, Kate looks a lot like Kit from his girlfriend from the murder of Sherlock Holmes. Just saying, point of note. Anyway, so Grady tells Jessica that he's invited to, that she's invited to dinner with Rita. Jessica's like, I'm so tired. I've been traveling. I've had all these appointments today. I just want to lay down. And so, of course, he gets to begging and because Jessica loves him and also she doesn't want him to lose his job again, (laughs) lose another job where no one has yet died or committed fraud that we know of, she agrees to go to dinner. So at dinner, we meet Cy, who is the money man in this situation, and we meet Rita and Sai is asking Jessica what type of books does she write, like romance novels. Now, Sai, honestly, you should have just said, what genre of books do you write? Because um, that's you're taking a leap there. But Rita does not miss a beat. And she just begins to compliment Jessica and her work which now you know that Rita is a true fan. And the way she said it and the way she looked, she looked like she meant it. So she was like, Sai, you better sit there and eat your food, okay? Because your, your, your ignorance is showing. Be quiet. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Don't disrespect my guest. So anyway, uh, while they're all talking, the director... Mark is making comments under his breath. Now he's sitting next to Cy, so Cy can hear him and really kind of pulls his coattail and tells him that you can keep your negativity to yourself because you are a guest at this dinner. He didn't say all this, but I'm saying you're a guest at this dinner that you need to just, again, with Cy, you know, I'll give him a bravo just for this one instance, but it's like, don't be disrespectful because that's very disrespectful. Don't say anything. If you want to be negative, then you shouldn't have come. All right? Like, shut up and eat your food. Okay? <laughs> like, how is that difficult? How is that difficult? Like, you've already been yelled at by Rita at the, at the theater. Don't get yelled at her by her in the restaurant and be shamed in front of all of Broadway. Okay? Anyway, so... We, we're sitting there and Rita's like, I'm starting to get tired. Barry, go ahead and make your little speech. Now, I will say that was very dismissive and condescending. I did not really like her tone or her cho- choice of words because they are in public. So you can imagine how she treats him in private. And that really plays into um, 
you know, how the rest of this episode plays out. Like they're keep an eye on their interactions. So Barry stands up and he says that, you know, they've been able to get, um, I don't know if he said the funding or whatever it was, but they're not even going to do rehearsals in Boston. They're going directly to Broadway in two weeks. So now the director is just like, oh my goodness, like we're not ready. We, you know, we were barely ready to go to Boston for previews, but now we're going directly to Broadway in a shorter amount of time. This is, I don't know if we're ready. You know, my name is on this. So I can understand him getting upset and stressed at this point. Uh, But still, don't be disrespectful. Thank you. So the next scene, we're outside. They finished dinner. We're outside the restaurant. Sai's car and driver are there. And he offers to give Jessica a ride. Because I believe that she was going to go with Barry and Patty. Um... But Sai was like, no, it's just me. You know, my car is right here. I'll take you to your hotel. It's on my way home. It's not a problem at all. So she's like, okay, cool. I'll I'll do that. So Barry tells us, Barry says that his car is down the block in the garage. So him and Patty are going to go home. Now, I don't know if they live together, if they live with the mother. I have no idea what their living situation is, but he is going to drive his sister home. I'm guessing they came together as well. But side note, okay. Um, Patty's fur coat is beautiful. Okay? It is beautiful. It looks luxurious. She looks rich, uh, wealthy. Just, it's just the whole look. I absolutely love it. Okay. Back to this. So as they're walking... They, uh, we see that there is a um, blind man who is uh, talking about the end of the world and doing the most, but there are people gathered around him. I'm assuming they're tourists because regular New Yorkers would have kept on walking, just saying. But behind him is a person who has a three-card Monty table. And there are people there as well, which means that, well, he's trying to get business. But um, he's telling the blind guy, who we find out his name is uh, Kelly, and we'll we'll get to his title in, in a little bit. But he's like, no one wants to hear that mess, but you got to come over here. You want to win some money? You want to win some money? <laughs> anyway, so Patty and Barry then turn the corner. Now, when I say turn the corner... Uh, Taki, we find out, is the name of the three-card Monty dealer. His name is Taki. He's like, hey, you guys want to try your luck? Now, he is standing in front of a dumpster that is in an alley. So he's standing in front of an alley. Directly behind him is a dumpster turned sideways and an alley. At the end of that alley is a door. Now, I had not noticed this in previous viewings, but this time I noticed that the door says parking lot entrance for public. Now, I was not around in New York City in the 80s, okay? So I don't know if that was typical, but all I can say is as dangerous as New York City was in the 80s, that there is no way in this 
world or any other universe, galaxy, planet, lifetime that I would ever go down an alley to get access to this door to go into a parking garage. Okay, there is no way. And I promise you that my parents, my grandparents, my cousins, all generations would have never done that because you know what? It looks like an alley where you get murdered, okay? I don't care how bright or light the street lights are. It's nighttime in 1984, 1985, New York City, okay? And you're just walking with your fur coat and looking all rich and luxurious, regardless that you're standing there with a man, a gun don't care. So that is clearly, it might as well have had bright lights that said, come here to get robbed and murdered. You know, (laughs) who does that? Who, Who would park in a garage where you then have to go down an alley that that veered off into a second alley where you can't even see if somebody's coming out there with a dumpster at the corner where anybody could be hiding behind it. Like this is, this is danger central. I'm going to call this murder alley. So they turn down murder alley. And before they even get too far past Taki at the front of murder alley, a man jumps out from uh, I can't, I can't tell if it's from next to the dumpster or if it's a, from around the corner, but he jumps out and he has a gun and he says, give me your money and your jewels. And then he shoots Patty. And I believe he shoots once and she goes down. When I tell you she went down super dramatic, she went down shoot super slow and dramatic. So I'm like, you know what? Give that woman an Oscar. She really... She really did the most. Now, I have never been shot, so I am sure it's extremely painful, but like she did a full-on soap opera fallout scene. But good for her. In that fur coat, she needed to be super dramatic with that too. Okay, don't blame her. I applaud her. So now, Barry immediately pulls out a gun that he has concealed in his uh, pants And he shoots the robber twice. The robber goes down and they're now yelling to call the police. He's trying to comfort his sister um, who is bleeding out. Now the sister makes it. So, you know, we're going to get to that in a second. But the sister survives. The robber does not. Okay, got that out the way. So now uh, my question is, before we get to the next scene, my question is, why didn't... Barry go to get the car himself and bring it around to Patty. Patty could have sat and well stood and talked with Cy and Jessica or even sat in Cy's car until Barry came around with his vehicle. Because again, New York City in the 80s was very dangerous at night. So, and she's wearing this huge white fur coat. Okay. So she has a huge target on her back. And we learn additional information about Barry and his experiences in over the past few months in New York City. So it makes even less sense that one, he would park in a garage where you have to go down Murder Alley to get access to that garage. And two, why he would be walking with his, walking with his sister who has on this huge fur coat. He should have left her safely with 
Jessica and Cy, at which time he could have went, pulled the car around like a gentleman should. And, you know, well, if it's two ladies, then whoever should. Then (laughs) he should have gone, got in the car, pulled it around. And then at that point, Patty could have gotten in it and they would have went home. They would have been safe. Now, the reason I say that is Cy has a gun. If this person jumped out and it was just him and they said, give me your money and your jewels, or I guess for him, give me your wallet, he could have then pulled out his gun and that guy would have probably run off. We wouldn't have this. It would have been done. But then we can move the story on. I get that. I understand that. It just didn't make sense. So, and you'll see how much it does not make sense in uh, the next scene. We're at the precinct and we meet Detective Sergeant Moreno. And he is talking with Barry. They're in uh, the sergeant's office. And we find out that the bullet nicked Patty's spine. So she does not end up being paralyzed, thank God. But, and again, she's going to survive, but she's still critical right now. And they're waiting for additional news. We find out that... Um, the DA is considering what to do and whether to charge Barry. Now, Sergeant Moreno says, listen, I would be giving you a medal, you know, for getting another, you know, criminal off the street, you know, but if you had done it with a registered gun, you know, you would have been out of here in a second. There wouldn't be any issues, but you shot him and killed him with a concealed weapon. Now, an unregistered concealed weapon. So there's two things. In the state of New York, you can get registered for a gun license. Barry then tells us, well, the reason that I have this gun is because I was mugged three times in the past eight months. Now, again, why would you park in a garage where you have to go down Murder Alley in order to get to your car? Two, why would you then be with your sister who has a robbery target on her back down the street and then down Murder Alley in New York City at night if you knew that you had previously been mugged as an adult man, you've been mugged. What would make you think that you standing next to a woman in a fur coat who does not look like she would be carrying a weapon at all or probably put up a fight in a in a robbery that that would prevent you from again being mugged. You're even an even bigger target. Okay, okay. I'm getting off the I'm getting off the topic. Okay. I'm It doesn't make sense, but okay, I'm back. So, we then get word. The sergeant then gets word that there are not going to be any charges pressed. He is free to go. And then he thanks him because he says now there's one less, he has one less bum to deal uh, deal with. That's disgusting and disrespectful. I'm going to just say that. I'm going to leave it there because that's going to be another tangent. <laughs> okay. Really upsetting. Now, the next scene, we are at Jessica's hotel and she is watching the TV And we see that the news is, there's a news reporter speaking to the blind gentleman. And he says that, you know, what happened? Um, Give me your jewels and give me your money and your jewels and then shot, right? And she's like, are you sure? He's like, yes. 
So then she's doing her outro and she says, we want to thank Mr. Kelly. He's like, uh, it's Monsignor Kelly. I'm like, he's, <laughs> he's telling her, you better get it right. It's like, listen, respect the man, respect him. So Jessica says, it just doesn't make sense that he would demand her money and jewelry and then shoot her before she has an opportunity to react. It doesn't make sense. And of course, this is, you know, um, I believe Grady is there. And he's like, well, you know, the police said it's a close case and da, da, da. And, you know, excuse, excuse, excuse. And she's like, yeah, no, you're you're definitely not going to convince me that it's anything other than uh, suspicious. So the next scene, we're at the precinct and Jessica is speaking with Sergeant Moreno and expressing the fact that she thinks this is very odd and what's the status of the case? Um, have they identified the victim? And um, he says, yes, his name is Manny Farkas. He doesn't have any prior criminal, uh, he does not have any prior criminal contacts or convictions. So she's like, well, that doesn't make sense that he would just come out and shoot someone. And Sergeant Moreno's like, well, this could have been his first time doing it. It could just be the first time he got caught. You know, we don't know um, what we don't know. You know, we just happened to catch him this time and he ended up being killed. You know, the I don't know what you want me to do. The case is closed. So <laughs> Jessica's like, there has to be some other reason that Patty was shot. And he, again, he dismisses her and she's like, I'm done. I'm going to obviously have to do my own investigation. You know what? I didn't have, I didn't come here for this, but apparently that's what I'm going to have to do. Just as a side note, um, Sergeant Moreno's three-piece suit, I loved it, okay? The, again, another episode with really great costume design. Like, everybody is just, the clothes are perfection. Just wanted to notice that. Even though I do not like Sergeant Moreno at all, he is in future episodes in as different characters, I think all of the rest of the characters he plays, I really like. I believe it, uh, mm, one is, there's one more that I don't like, but the others, <laughs> the other ones, he's a really good guy, except for one more episode. The rest of them, he's a really good guy. And um, but I still don't like him here, but I will give respect where respect is due. And that is his three-piece suit. Okay. So the next scene, we are at Rita's apartment. So it's Jessica and Rita. And from Rita, we learn, oh, side note, um, this blue dress that she has on, which is kind of pajamas, but uh, also appropriate for guests, uh, silky, kind of dressy, kind of casual. Just And you know she got on a heel under there too. Just, again, perfection. Just age appropriate, just perfect, perfect. I really hope that the costume designer got some awards because this perfection. So anyway, Rita tells us that she really wants, the only reason she's really, the only reasons that she's really participating in this play, it's not really for her comeback. She's like, yeah, that's a benefit, but she wants this to be a success for Barry because she tells us that he's had bad luck. Quote, 
bad plays, dreadful films, ghastly TV shows, end quote. So she's like, he has just not been able to get it together. And I think this is really going to be his big chance. So I don't want to take that away from him. So I I have to I have to do this. But also that this is Patty's big break. Now we don't know how old Patty is. She could be anywhere from 25 to 45, honestly. Because a person who is 25, who, um, a 25 year old in 1984, 1985 does not look like a 25 year old in 1995, 2005, 2015, or 2025. So I don't know. She could have been, if she would have said she is 25, I'm like, all right, hey. If she says she was 45, okay, hey. (laughs) So we don't know how long she's been in the business. She doesn't talk about any accomplishments or failures Patty has had, but she identifies this play as her ability to have a big break. And I have to say, and we also learn that Rita had an alcohol problem. This was mentioned before. We she she admits that she had an alcohol problem. She almost lost her career and but more importantly, she almost lost her children. Uh but she was able to pull herself out of it and save her family before she completely lost them. And she says that she's 17 years clean and she has a bottle that she bought, I guess, right before she decided to get clean or right after she decided to get clean. But it's 17 years old and it reminds her of what she could have lost and how far she's come. And I have to say the best quote that Rita has... And I think this is might be the best quote in the entire show. She says, the problem with having your name in lights is when the power fails, you find out about yourself and your friends. And when I tell you that that really hits, because that is true whether you are a superstar um, on the football team, the head cheerleader, the... Um, a drum major, you know, the best player on your um, video game team, the, a band leader, whatever it is that you may be proficient at and really take a leadership role and all these people flock to you when something happens and you're not that person anymore because you grew or you got injured uh, or you just decided to do something different, that that's when you find out who your friends are and you find out about yourself. Like, am I more than just, you know, what I do? Am I more than my profession? Am I more than my hobby? Am I more than this activity? Am I more than, you know, just who I am in the family? And are these people my real friends? Are they going to be there, you know, when I'm sad, when I'm happy, when I'm having a breakdown, you know, when I don't have any money, when I'm rich? And it's it's really a deep and moving and meaningful quote. So the next scene, we're out on the street and Jessica is talking to, I think her name is Vanessa. And she is also a three-card Monty Uh, dealer. And there are a bunch of people around her. I promise you those are tourists, okay? Because again, just like 
a regular New Yorker would have just walked past that a blind gentleman. Uh, any regular New Yorker, <laughs> well, who's been to the city or any urban area would have just walked straight past the three-card Monty dealer. Anyway, so she is, she was like, I want to speak with Taki. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, now all three-card Monty dealers don't know each other. Now, Vanessa happened to actually know Taki, so I don't know how that really worked out, but <laughs> I guess they have a network. Do they have weekly meetings? Is it like a union? Do they pay dues? I, I have questions. Anyway, so Jessica's like, let's get to the point. She pulls out a $100 bill. Yes, a hundred dollar bill <laughs> rips it in half, and it said and tells Vanessa. I, I hope that's the, the the character's name that she wants to meet Taki by the end of the day, and at that point she will give the second half of the hundred dollars, and they can decide how they want to split it between the two of them. The very next scene, she is sitting having empanadas at an empanada stand with Taki. So <laughs> he's like, um, yeah, you know, they wanted that hundred dollars. <laughs> Cause that's a whole life. People playing with dollars and stuff like that. And she got a hundred dollars. Listen, that's a whole day's work. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Uh, and I, I bet you those empanadas were delicious. Now he shouldn't have put that hot sauce on Jessica's if she didn't have empanadas before, like let her taste and savor and then put the hot sauce. Cause you know, when she took a bite and the look on her face, you know, she just tasted hot. Like it was so spicy that she could see into the future. So he just, he just messed up her experience. Now, anyway, so he's like, well, the whole situation was weird because he says, give me your stuff. And then he shoots her. Like he must be new to this because why would you want to shoot the person? Now you got to bend over. You got to go through their pockets. You're wasting time. And that's exactly right, because now somebody who heard could call the police. Now the police could get there um, and catch you. You know, there's uh, more time for people to see your face, remember features, and all of that. You got to do this quick. So he's like, no, the person does the work and gives you the stuff. Then you do it. And then, well, the other part is then you don't have to shoot somebody. Like... <laughs> why waste the bullet when you don't have to? He was exactly right. So the next scene, we're at the precinct and um, the sergeant is doing ab exercises. This so inappropriate, period. So this is where we find out that the person uh, is, the deceased is Manny Farkas and he has no prior criminal history or record. So... You know, this is when Jessica's like, it, uh, like, it doesn't make any sense, right? It doesn't make any sense. So the next scene, we're at the hospital. Jessica is there with Rita and we find out that Patty is going to be fine. Um, but she's, it's going to take several weeks for her to recover. So she's not going to be singing or dancing in the next few weeks. Um, but she will make a full recovery. So we are extremely thankful for that. So the next scene, we're at the theater and Mark, the director, brings over Lonnie Valerian, who also has a beautiful fur coat, okay? <laughs> beautiful. 
Anyway, so he is suggesting to Barry and Sai, I believe Sai is there already, that um, Lonnie should be cast in Patty's part. Now, side note, Kate, Grady's girlfriend, is already the understudy for Patty. But it's clear that Mark already had this in the works and had given Lonnie a copy of the script with the music. And she already had, she hums a bit of a tune and sings. It's like, how does she know the rhythm of the song unless she's heard it before? Like she had to have gotten the music, either an audio copy or the sheet music, something. She was too well prepared. Everyone sees through it. But Sai is like, um, hey, yeah, so come on, we want the play to do well. Like maybe that's what we should do. You know, we find out Lonnie is a celebrity. And it's like with her name on this, you know, we can still save it and we might even do better. So Barry reluctantly agrees. But the thing is, like, why didn't Mark just from the beginning have Lonnie as the understudy? He could have just been upfront, like, okay, this causes drama. This also then makes Mark um, a suspect for wanting to get Patty out of the way so that Lonnie could come in. Okay, I get that. But in reality, he could have just been up front. And I think no one would have had a problem with Lonnie being the understudy or even better, her splitting the role with Patty. So on certain days, like they do at the opera, certain days is Patty in this part. On other days, it's Lonnie in this part. And you can advertise it as such so that you're going to get people who are going to come um, because of the director, because of Rita, uh, because of Lonnie. And maybe Patty, we don't know what Patty's credits are or her credentials are within the theater uh, and acting community. But that would have just made so much sense. But it would not have been as dramatic. I get it. Next scene. So (laughs) next scene, we are at Grady's apartment and Kate is there and Jessica's there. So they, Jessica is watching TV. She's again, she's still stumped by what is going on. And she see Grady and Kate are cleaning up the kitchen. I'm assuming they had dinner or lunch. I can't tell what time of day it is. And she see, Jessica sees on TV the deceased robber and she's like that's him that's him that's Manny Farkas so somehow some way she well she finds out the name of the movie she goes she does her search she finds out that the actor is credited as Morley Farmer so she then goes to the precinct to Sergeant Moreno shows him the video and it's like see that's him that's um Manny Farkas, whose real name is Morley Farmer. And he's like, so yeah, whatever. He's an out-of-work actor who's now, who then decided to rob people to make money. So this doesn't change my opinion. To which Jessica says that obviously the carrots aren't working because you're blind and you're stubborn. Grabs her purse and leaves. I was like, yes, that's how you leave a room. Okay, Jessica, you better go ahead and solve this crime. So in the next scene, we meet Lou Farrell. 
Now, the actor Milton Berle, like another legend, legendary. <laughs> okay. Okay. Admiration. Okay, we're back to it. So Lou is Morley slash Manny's agent. And he tells us that everything Morley tried doing resulted in something blowing up. He could not catch a break. And so Jessica is like, well, when was the last time you spoke with him, et cetera, et cetera. So long long and short of it is he's really been out of work for a while. Um, but Lou has a the most recent address he has for him, he gives to Jessica. In addition to that, he agrees to give her his credits, you know, of shows and um, of previous acting jobs. And Lou tells her, uh, well, Jessica asks, well, how do I, um, you know, where do I meet you to pick this up? How do I get in touch with you? And he's like, oh, I'm here every day. This is where I work out of. Um, I don't go to my office. I hate my secretary. (laughs) What? Didn't you hire her? That's the best. That is really a mess, but the best type of mess. Okay. (laughs) I hate my secretary. That's wild. Anyway, so the next scene, we're on stage and Rita is just pissed. She's like, look, I noticed that one, you keep changing the script every day. There are new pages. Two, Patty's part has now had so many more lines added to it ever since Lonnie has been uh, taking her, has taken her place. And, you know, I'm having none of this. This is outrageous. How do you think that you could get away with this? This is a setup. So Rita is calling Mark to the carpet because it's clear that that's what he was doing. (laughs) This was a setup. Now, she's like, you know what? I don't need this. And like storms off. Um, Clearly, Mark overplayed his cards. And he's about to lose everything. Because if Rita quits, yeah, they can get somebody in Rita's place. But her name held a lot of weight. And to try to find someone this close to when the play is supposed to start, who has her is that caliber of an actor, who is willing to learn that quickly... It's going to be extremely hard to find. And now I'm sure Mark is feeling real stupid, as he should. Now, <laughs> um, Mark is trying to explain to Barry that, um, you know, you basically, you got to get your mom in line. Like, this is this is too much. You know, um, you know basically, like, she she's acting a fool. Like, get her under control. And maybe maybe she's not prepared for this. To which um, Barry is so upset by how, I don't want to say disrespectful, but how really condescending Mark is being about his mother. So he punches him in the face. It was due. I don't like, vi- I don't applaud violence, but he needed to be punched in his face. He was disrespectful. He got what he got. And then Barry like storms off and then Grady's going to come and ask him some questions, trying to have him look at some paperwork. I'm like, Grady, this is not the time. This is why you make all of these horrible decisions in your life. Okay. This is not the time. Read the room. Okay. (laughs) 
Clearly he didn't. Clearly he didn't spend enough time with Aunt Jessica and Uncle Frank to realize how to read the room. Okay. <laughs> so the next scene we're at, we're in Central Park with Jessica and Grady in a horse-drawn carriage, which you can still do, well, I don't know during the pandemic, but which you could do till until at least the beginning of 2020. <laughs> anyway, so Grady tells her that he went to pick up additional paperwork. He went to pick up paperwork from Sai so he could do the accounting for the day. And he picked up some additional papers by accident. And it shows that there are $2 million in investments, which would mean that 150% of the show was sold. So Jessica tells him, well, that means that Sai needs the show to fail. And I don't know if it's at this point or later on that she says, but the play has to open, but it has to fail. Now, the reason it has to open is because if it does not open, he automatically has to pay back the $2 million. If it opens and it's successful, then he has to pay the $2 million plus the interest that he promised based on the success of the show. Of course, he does not have this $2 million and definitely (laughs) to begin with to even pay that back. Or three, if the show opens but fails, he does not have to pay a dime back. Now, we then have Grady driving Jessica somewhere and we, they pull up to the Loft Theater and he's like, are you sure this is the, the correct address? She's like, yeah, this is the address that Lou gave me. So we find out that this is where Morley slash Manny was living. He was actually living in a room within the theater. And we meet the theater owner who is uh, a tad bit eccentric, very existential. You know, she was cool. Like she, she wasn't outrageous. She wasn't too, too much. Just enough for a theater owner. You know, caring, observant, you know, artsy, a good, a good mix, small role, good mix. And we find out that uh, Morley slash Manny was promised, well, he had told her that he had found an angel, that he was promised that he would get his movie made, he would be able to direct and star in it. Now, hearing this, this triggers an epiphany to Jessica she tells Grady to go to that restaurant and ask for Lou Farrell and get Manny slash Morley's credits from him. She had to go someplace else. Now, she immediately goes to Rita's apartment. Now, thank God the security guard let her in. I don't know what she said to that man that (laughs) he was willing to give up everything (laughs) and open this person's door to this stranger. I have no idea what she said to him, uh, but it worked. And thank God it did because they walk in, Jessica gets like 10 steps into the apartment and she's like, do you smell that gas? And they go into the kitchen. Rita is passed out. There's an empty pill bottle. There is a empty bottle of alcohol. And the oven door is open and the gas is turned all the way up from the oven. So 
she turned Jessica turns off the gas. She's like, call the police. So the next scene, we are at the hospital. And everyone is waiting to hear about Rita. Patty is there in a wheelchair because she's still a resident of the hospital um, trying to get better. Again, beautiful satin nightgown. Like, appropriate to be seen in public like this uh, or to wear around the hospital or the house, I guess. She She's there. Barry's there, you know, trying to comfort her as they're waiting to hear about the mother. Mark is there. I'm not going to assume that he was there to see whether or not Patty was going to die so that he could replace her. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he was there because he cares about Rita and her family because he is a human being. Okay? So, <laughs> but we know for sure that Sai is trash. Okay? Because he comes in, he goes running up to Mark and he's like, yeah, so do you have anybody who could take over uh, for Rita? You know, because uh, the place will start in uh, a few weeks. And uh, do you got somebody? You got somebody? And he's like, this is not the time or the place. Now, this would also be an appropriate time for Barry to punch somebody in the face, okay? Cy really needed a good one-two punch, all right? So not only is he committing fraud that they don't know about yet, but the audience knows about. So he's not only defrauding people out of $2 million, but he's outside the hospital door, the hospital room, talking to the director about a woman who is literally on the other side of the door dying, okay? This is beyond inappropriate. And I think, and this is where, I believe this is when we find out that, um, from Jessica, that the play has to open, but it has to fail. So she tells Grady, who's just like, this is, this is too much. Like, this is too much. What is he doing? I'm like, these people were way too calm. Like, they got upset, but I was like, they were way too calm. He really needed to get punched twice, okay? Not, not my mother on the other side of that door. And you asking questions like this? No, they would have had to call the police because <laughs> he would have had to get out the hospital. He would have had to leave that hospital. I promise you, he would have had to leave that hospital. And not only that, but like literally her daughter who almost died and her son are sitting in earshot when you're asking so-called bloodedly about who can replace her because the the show must go on. Like, this ain't the time or the place, sir. Get out. Get out. <laughs> so anyway, um, Jessica asked Grady for the credits that he got from Lou. She looks at them and she has another epiphany. Now, it's not as obvious of an epiphany, but we find out that um, based on the next scene, that it was an epiphany. So in the next scene, we're at Rita's apartment and it's Jessica and Barry. And we find out that Rita has died. So Jessica is, you know, basically being there for Barry you know, obviously the sister is still in the hospital um, and everyone else is um, not there. Uh, but Jessica is there to comfort him. And what we don't 
what we see but don't necessarily clearly notice is that Jessica is slowly taking on some of the attributes of Rita Bristol. The way she treated her son, some of the phrasing, her tone of voice, even the way that she, her body language, the way she moved her body when she was talking to him, all very slight, all smoothly moved into to the point where Barry didn't, Barry didn't consciously realize it, but subconsciously he he fell into the same mindset he did when he was talking to his mom. And you'll you'll see what I mean as we we go a little bit further. So Jessica is basically saying, well, I know what happened. She did not commit suicide. Somebody murdered her. One of the clues was that when she came in with the security guard, there was no fresh coffee. And she had told her, Rita had told Jessica on her first visit that she always keeps a pot going. She always keeps fresh coffee. And the pot, not only was was there no coffee, but the pot was washed out um, and put away. So she says the reason that was is because the coffee was laced with sedatives. And once Rita passed out from those sedatives, alcohol was forced down her throat and the gas jets were opened by the murderer. And so Barry's like, well, who would do that? How did that happen? You know, that's terrible. And she said, no, it's not somebody, it's you. So she then lays out what she believes happened, that Barry's plan was to first have Patty murdered and then kill his mother and make it look like a suicide. Because any person who knew how close she was to Patty would be understanding if she then took her life after her daughter died so unexpectedly by violence. So that was his original plan. However, Patty did not die, but he still could set up his mom's suicide because the stress of the play, Patty's still um, injured severely, you know, not permanently, um, but Patty is still injured and may not be able to be in the play in her big break. So people can understand if it had become too much for um, for Rita and she took her own life. So we find out that Jessica also surmises that the reason he did this was for money. And he had to kill Patty because uh, he didn't just want half of his mon- mother's money. He wanted all of it. So Patty had to be gone and the mother had to be gone. So... Um, yeah, that's crazy. But we find out another motive when Barry starts to talk and basically he's like, he felt ignored and unloved that she did everything for Patty. Patty was the golden child and he was just left to struggle for everything he had, 
that she wouldn't give him any money so that he could get plays and TV shows and get the talent that he needed to be successful behind the scenes. Because his mother told him, we Bristol supply the talent. So that was her reasoning for not giving him any money. It was like, you got to figure it out because we don't give money. We give talent. Despite the fact that he was not an actor, he was in the business behind the scenes. And she apparently didn't do anything other than this play to help him further his career or to have his big break. So because of that and, you know, getting to the point where, all right, you know what, then I just want your money. Okay, I'm unloved. You don't care about me. I'm going to murder you and your precious Patty and get all this money and that'll make me feel better. So as he's saying this, and Jessica's getting closer. Like, why would you do that? Why would you do that? That's, you know, at her tone of voice and just playing that perfect role as um, a version of Rita that spoke to Barry on an internal level um, that he didn't even recognize that it was Jessica, somebody completely, not his mother, who was saying these things but it was so similar to how his mother spoke with him. He fell into that angry little boy immediately and stayed there throughout the rest of the scene. So he then turns to Jessica and basically is like, you're the only one who knows this and like grabs her shoulder and looks like he's taking her towards the window to throw her out the window. I have no idea how he thought he was going to explain that, Um, he didn't think that through at all, but he was being irrational and angry. At this point, he gets about two steps with Jessica, um, and Rita bursts in the door with Sergeant Moreno. And she's like, oh my God, you didn't know how much I loved you. You didn't know that I loved you. And she hugs him and he's crying on her shoulder. And it's really sad that they really didn't communicate I'm sure that she thought this tough love was the right way to go, not realizing how it wasn't what he needed. And he didn't understand it as love. He understood it as being ignored and dismissed. Whereas she was treating Patty different um, and giving her attention. Now, we don't know if she gave her money or anything like that, but her aspirations didn't require her to have large sums of money to to be within the industry. Her being an actor, you don't have to put out money like that. Hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, you don't have to put that out. So his interpretation of this was valid, but it's not what his mother meant in her actions. So it was just really sad that now this uninvolved actor who just wanted his terrible movie made is now dead. Your sister's been shot, but she's going to make a full recovery. Um, Your mother, who still loves you and realizes that the way she went about it was wrong for you. Like, she wasn't wrong to be like that because she thought it was right. But she didn't realize that what she was doing was hurting you so deeply that you would want to murder her. But um, I think they dealt with it as well as they could. Um, So 
Now, the the final scene. We are Jessica's back at home. She's back in Maine. Grady is at backstage. Well, Grady is side stage of the play, which is full on going on in the back, on stage behind him. And he's like the district attorney is speaking with Cy about the fraud. Um, and she and Jessica's like, oh, okay. And because the play was a hit, it's a hit. So Cy owe everybody money that he ain't got. So the DA wants to talk to him. Okay. <laughs> you better find some money or he is going to prison for a long time. Okay. <laughs> um, so Jessica is also asking, well, how's Kate doing? What's going on with Kate and you? And Grady is talking about everything else under the sun. She's like, Grady, how is Kate? And he's like, well, you know, I guess she's fine, but she left me. She ran off with a TV weatherman from Pittsburgh. <laughs> but you're going to love Francesca. Okay, so now, <laughs> now, okay, now I don't know that if... <laughs> If Grady was working for Cy, Cy has now been arrested for fraud. So Grady would be out of a job again. And two, the woman he was with ran off with somebody else. <laughs> and he's on to a new woman. Honestly, changing like underwear. Oh my God. So anyway, Jessica thinks this is hilarious. She The final scene is her cracking up. At least she has the respect to cover the mic, <laughs> to cover the receiver. <laughs> but she is like, oh God, that, that Grady. I, <laughs> he can't keep a job or a woman. Oh goodness. Lord help him. <laughs> but anyway, so that is that on that Broadway Malady. Um, it was a, a good show. It was, it was a great episode. I really liked it. Um, next week, we are going to be talking about Murder to a Jazz Beat. So I am looking forward to that. They're in New Orleans. There is jazz music. Um, yeah, there's some poisoning. Oh, spoiler. But, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to that one. I cannot wait. So if you want early access to Murder to a Jazz Beat, you can go over to Patreon to The Fletcher Files and sign up on Patreon. If you don't and you're willing to wait with bated breath until next Sunday, you, I will see you back here on whichever podcast platform you listen to for Murder to a Jazz Beat. And I ask you, those who listen on Apple Podcasts, go ahead and give me a five-star review. Uh, if you want to reach out to me, you can reach out to me on Instagram at the Fletcher Files Pod or via email at justmebeingdramatic at gmail.com. All right, you guys. May 2021 be an amazing, amazing year. Let's start it off on the right foot can't wait to talk to you guys on the next one. Bye.